when we get to do worship in the, uh, why isn't my iPad turning on? This is bad. Oh, there we go. Whew, that was all my notes. We were going to wing it right there. And that was like this moment of heartache I had. Uh, we're okay. Um, it was really great. Uh, I love looking up at the worship team and seeing them smiling when they're worshiping. I, uh, I was at a church once where everybody at the worship team looked like they were sucking on a lemon while they were singing. And I just thought that was a weird look of like worshiping God and like not being happy. Um, it should be something that we do easily. And uh, so I just appreciate that uh, worship team, and that was really great this morning. Um, good morning. I am really glad to have the opportunity to uh, share God's Word. I'm Mark Lachelle. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I just look forward to every opportunity I have to share God's Word. Um, this Sunday, all over the nation, associate pastors are preaching um, <laughs> because, because senior pastors and preaching pastors have been preaching all through the holiday, all through Christmas, and they needed a week off. So um, I am joining a proud uh, team of, of, of replacement preachers for the week, and uh, so you guys get me. <laughs> um, it is great to have the kids here in uh, service. We love kid noises, so uh, don't, be, uh, don't worry if your child is making noises. We're all for that. Um, and more importantly, you know, Matt Mason gets to be in this room. He never gets to be in the room, so yay, Matt, because uh, he's not teaching kids' church. Uh, yeah, give Matt a, a round of applause. Um, we started uh, this series, What Do You Mean?, as sort of one-offs. Andy got this idea to do a sermon series on what do we mean by, and we talked about the body of Christ, we talked about worship, we talked what does it mean about uh, um, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, and uh, we kind of did this as an opportunity where we periodically get to do one-off sermons uh, in the middle of series that uh, we needed, we put that, use this as a structure. So I thought it'd be really cool to do one uh, now uh, on the word Ebenezer. Being that we are in the Christmas holiday, uh, everybody, when we hear Ebenezer, the first thing we think about is Scrooge. And uh, so uh, I want to talk about what do we mean when we say Ebenezer? And um, uh, when I was younger, okay, I was 18, but uh, when the uh, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol came out, um, I remember singing uh, uh, Come Thou Fount. And it said, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I had this picture of them lifting up Michael Caine. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know, Kermit is a lot easier to pick up. Why would we want to lift up Michael Caine instead of Kermit? Um, but uh, I didn't understand what the word Ebenezer meant. And it's probably a word you've heard and you may not necessarily understand it. So we're going to uh, dive in and look to see what that means. So um, I'm going to read the passage that we're going to look at, First uh, Samuel chapter 7, 3 through 13, and, uh, and then we'll dig into God's Word and see what this is all about. So First Samuel chapter 7, 3 through 13. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals, and put away the Asheroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mitzvah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzvah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted. And on that day uh, they said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzvah. And now when the Philistines had heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzvah, 
the lords of the Philistines went up against the went up against Israel, and when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, "Do not cease crying out to the Lord our, our God for us, that He may save us from the hands of the Philistines." So Samuel took a nursing, nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack. But the Lord thundered. And with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, he threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. All the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far down as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called it its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that as we open it up and we look to see what it says, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Lord, that it would be more of you and less of me up here. Lord, we ask that whatever you want us to hear, that we would do it and that we would hear it, and Lord, that we would ultimately be more like your son. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So we're sort of jumping in the middle of the story here, um, here in 1 Samuel. Uh, a couple chapters ago, Israel was at war. About, this is about 20 years before. Israel it was at war with the Philistines. They were always at war with the Philistines. It just seemed to be the thing they did. They didn't get along. They didn't like each other. They wanted each other's land. They fought all the time. And so they're fighting. And um, Israel has walked away from the Lord. Israel is far away from the Lord. And they're getting ready to go into battle. And they're looking at their odds. And their, their odds aren't necessarily horrible, but they're not great. And somebody gets this great idea that says, hey, let's take the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to the battle. Because why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is God, uh, is, is the presence of God here. And if we bring him into the battle, we'll win. And so they've decided to use the Ark as a tool. They've decided to use it as a way for them to get this automatic win. To say, hey, I'm with God, so I win. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and God's like, oh, you're not going to use me that way. You are not going to use me that way. And what happens is, is that they go to battle and they get wiped out. And Phil, the Philistines are like, oh my goodness, we just beat, the, we've just conquered, we just beat Israel. And their, their trump card, their, their tool that they've used to hurt us is just sitting there in the battlefield and we can take it. So they do. And they take it home. And I'm not going to get into it because it's a great story. But they set it up in front of their idol. Their idol falls down and worships it and breaks. And all these horrible things happen. And there's tumors and there's mice. And there's all these things that happen. And they're like, we do not want this thing here anymore. They get cursed because they've taken this thing that isn't theirs. And so what they do is they put it on a cart. They put two cows in front of it. And they smack the butts of the cows and say, go. And they're like, we don't even want this thing anymore. We don't want this thing anywhere near us. We don't want it in our area. We don't want it in our country. We do not want the Ark of the Covenant at all, head in the direction of Israel. And so when they get it there, it ends up in one town, and a bunch of people die there. Once again, I'm not going to get into all the details. And they end up taking it to a suburb of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be the center of worship for Israel. And here they are. It's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and they've sent it about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem in this little town. And because of this, the people of Israel start to lament. And for 20 years, they're upset that the, 
that the Ark of the Covenant is not where it's supposed to be. And that's where we jump into this story. Samuel has heard the cries of Israel. And they're upset because they don't have their, the Ark of the Covenant. They, they're upset because they don't have a relationship with their God. And so he tells them, if you want to return to God with all your heart, you need to stop looking like all the countries around you. You need to stop worshiping the things that they're worshiping. You need to stop worshiping the things that aren't God. The things that you've put over God, you need to get rid of everything. And these were things that had become ingrained in their culture. These, these Asherah poles and these Baals, they were all things to them that they were doing regularly. And they said, if you want to come back to God, it's going to hurt, it's going to require sacrifice. You need to walk away from those, and you need to turn your heart back to God and serve him, and serve him only. Now, I can't imagine what that would be like to stand before a people and tell them, you need to repent of all of your sins, you need to turn your hearts back towards God, and immediately they all do it. Like, that would be amazing. Should I try it? <laughs> repent of your sins and turn back to God. Oh, okay. Um, but that's what happens with Samuel. Samuel tells us these people were primed. They had been 20 years of lamenting the fact that they weren't in a relationship with God. Lamenting the fact that they had lost the symbol of their, of their God to their enemy. And so here they are lamenting, and they respond and say, okay, we'll take down all of it. We will remove all the false idols. We will take everything out of our lives that isn't God, everything that we think is more important than God, and we are going to serve him and serve him exclusively. And so Samuel says, okay, then let's all get together at Mitzvah and let's have a revival meeting. I will pray for you guys. I will, I will pray to the Lord for you guys. Let's get the entire nation together at this one spot and have a revival meeting. Let's tell God that we're sorry for our sins. And that's what they do. They come back to Mitzvah and they, they, they pour water out and they start to fast and they pray to God, we have sinned against you and you only, God, we're sorry. They're seeing this huge revival happen. They're seeing this gigantic repentance, this turning back to the Lord that they haven't seen in ages. And the Philistines hear about it. And the Philistines says, oh, they're having church over there. You know, if they're having church over there, they're probably not packing swords. If they're having church over there, we could probably sneak up on them. And so they decide to sneak up, and, they, and Israel hears, I mean, you know, when you have an entire nation coming to attack you, these are something that you, that you might notice. And so they start to freak out. And they say, they say, uh, Samuel, don't cease crying out to the Lord for us. Continue to pray for us, because he will deliver us. It isn't Samuel, the preacher isn't saying, everybody, keep repenting, keep, no, they're saying, no, Samuel, keep praying for us because we trust that God's going to take care of us. And so that's what Samuel does. Samuel keeps praying and he takes a calf and he, and he slaughters it. And as they're getting ready to attack the Israelites in this vulnerable moment, God thunders. Now, how many of you remember being afraid of thunder? How many of you are still afraid of thunder? Um, 
we're talking battle-hardened soldiers getting ready for battle, probably in a battle rage, like getting ready, and they're like, I fear nothing. I'm going to go to battle to destroy my enemy, and I can be afraid of nothing. And yet God thunders. Thunders to a point that they go into chaos, and it says here, that the, Phil, that the Philistines heard the thunder and it threw them into chaos and they were defeated before Israel. It doesn't say they were defeated by Israel. It doesn't say that they were defeated by the men of Israel or that God empowered the men of Israel to go take... No. God threw them into confusion and defeated them with them out even having to do anything. Can you imagine that thunder? And here's the crazy thing. If it's thundering that loud and they're getting ready to attack, that means the people of Israel heard it. And to them, and this is not in Scripture, but to them, that was a joyous noise. That's our God taking care of us. What the enemy hears as anger, what the enemy hears is something to send them into chaos and to fear, is something they thought was a wonderful noise, that this is my God taking care of me. And so the men pick up their swords and finish off the work. As the men are running in chaos, they start to wipe them out. And Samuel takes a stone and he sets it up. And he says, this is going to be our Ebenezer. And the word Ebenezer comes from two Hebrew words, um, which means a stone um, of help. And he says, till now, up until the moment we set this up, God has always helped us. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that right here, God helped us. Now, my question to you is, do you think they set it up because they routed the Philistines or because they came back to God? What was the greater miracle? Was the greater miracle God wiping out the enemy or having an entire nation turn its heart back to God. They're both huge, and he, he probably means to set it up for both of them. But what's the bigger deal here? And he sets this stone up with the idea that every time you see the stone, you'll say, right here at this place, we as a nation turned our hearts back to God, and God routed the Philistines for us. Because we need to remember this is not a new concept in Scripture. This is not something that they knew. In fact, uh, we look at Jacob. Um, Jacob has a dream and unfortunately uses a stone for a pillow. I'm all for a firm pillow, but that's crazy. Um, and after he has this dream and God says that this nation is going to be yours and you're going to be my people and you're going to multiply, uh, he wakes up and he's like, God has moved here. And he takes the stone that he used for a pillow and he sets it up and he says, here is where God did something, and I'm going to set up his church here, and I'm going to give him 10% of what I own. And he put this as a memory that every time somebody went by here, God spoke to Jacob here. Joshua, when they're crossing the Jordan and the people of Israel are going to come and take Israel, God parts the Jordan. And as the priests are standing in the middle of the dry land, he, Joshua turns to, to the tribes of Israel and says, send one man out there to pick up a stone. 
and I want you to set up 12 stones so that we can remember that God moved here. God did something awesome here. God parted the rivers of the, the River Jordan so we could cross over. And every time you walk by, I want you to remember what God did. And I want you to tell your children so that they tell your children's children and that they know that God did something amazing here. But that wasn't the only time Joshua did it. Joshua, as he's about to die, as he's closing out his life, he brings all the people of Israel together and he reminds them of the promise God made to them, about the covenant he made to the, the, the people of Israel, how they need to, to trust him and that they, they need to follow him. And if they do, God's got their back. And he sets up a stone there. He says, I want you to remember what God has promised to do. And so the logical question to go right here is for me to ask you, what has God done in your life? But we're not going to get to that one yet. I'm going to say it because we're all thinking it. We should be thinking it. What has God done in our life? But the real question, I think, is why? Why in the world do we need Ebenezer's? And the first reason is we forget. We forget what God's done all the time. I was talking to somebody here and uh, he was telling me how sometimes he gets up from his desk at work and takes two steps and forgets why he gets up. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's that type of forgetting, um, but some of us, as we're getting older, we're doing that. We go to the kitchen, and we have no idea why we're in the kitchen. We don't even know what kitchen we're in sometimes. Um, and, uh, um, but this isn't that kind of forgetting. I think we forget because when we don't remember, we start to lose perspective. We start to get complacent. If we don't remember what God's done, we forget. We are so much like Peter. God has just done a miracle, and Peter's walking on the water. And all of a sudden, he forgets that, God, that Jesus has done a miracle, and he looks at the storm, and he starts to sink. We are so that way. God can do something amazing in our lives, and two seconds later, we forget it. God knows that we forget all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I know for myself, I can't afford to forget. Because if I forget that I'm part of this epic story that God's doing, part of this epic story that God has done in my life, and these miracles and these things that God has done, where he's drawn me closer and closer and closer to him, that if I don't remember what he's done, the enemy has a whole lot of other things he wants me to remember. Why is it that we don't have a problem remembering that conversation we had when we were in second grade and we made a fool out of ourselves in front of the entire class? And, and, I, and I've replayed the conversation 10,000 times in my head, and I know today that if I was in that, I would call him a duty head and I'd win the argument. But don't we replay our failures over and over and over again in our head? Don't we have Ebenezer's that are negative that we have in our head all the time? Oh, if I only would have done this better in this relationship, that it wouldn't have ever fallen apart. Or only if I would have just done this differently, I would have changed it. And, if I could have, and, 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 and don't we play those over and over in our heads all the time? And we get our heads so full of failures that we forget the victories. We forget the moments when God has done something amazing. And I think when we forget and all we focus on is our failures, we start to get bitter. We start to think this isn't fair. I see all the good things that happens to him. Why doesn't something good happen to me? Why not me? It's because we forget. I think if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've seen the work God's done in your life. And if you think now, you can tell me 
God did this one time. There was a moment when God did this. But in our everyday lives, we forget. It's why God told the people of Israel they needed Ebenezer's. It's why they took Ebenezer's and set them up. Why do we need Ebenezer's? Because we forget. We need Ebenezer's because it reminds us that God came through and that he can come through in our current situation. If we remember what God's done in the past, we can trust him for what he's going to do in the future. Do do you remember uh, before we had GPSs, uh, and GPSs still work, but it's not going to work for my illustration, so I'm going to say remember when we didn't have them. Uh, But you remember when you were driving with your family when you were younger, and you, you're, you would ask, how, how long, how long, how long? Do you remember the moment you figured out what mile markers were? Where all of a sudden you realize that the road says, you know, you know 100, 90, 50, and, and you realize, that, oh, if that's how many miles we are to the border of whatever state I'm in. Mile markers were great. It made it so I didn't get yelled at by my dad because I knew that, hey, we've got 50 miles to go. We've got 50, and then we're out of this state, and then we've got another 20 or whatever it was. Ebenezer's are mile markers for our faith. We can go, I remember at this point in time I became a Christian. And I remember at this point in time God did this, and God did this, and God did this. And if you look back, you can see all these mile markers that look at what God's done in my life. But what happens is is that we turn our backs to those sometimes. And we should be looking forward, but we need to know that that which happened in the past means that God's trustworthy for the future. It means that what God is going to do in the future is based off of what he's done in the past. Till now, he's been faithful. Up until this point, he's been faithful. We need Ebenezer's because it helps us to remember when God came through in the past. It reminds us that we have to be grateful and have gratitude. I think when we stop forgetting what God's done, we stop being thankful. I read in a commentary, and I don't remember which one. I'm sorry, I'm going to just quote this person, and you're not going to know who it was, and you're going to think it was me, and you're going to think, boy, Mark was smart. And I appreciate that. Um, Memories of what God has done keeps gratitude fresh. And gratitude keeps faith faithful. When we remember what God's done, we're thankful to him. When we forget what he's done and we think, boy, why aren't you doing this for me? Why aren't you doing this for me? We stop being grateful and we start thinking, maybe God isn't going to take care of me now. Or I start seeing the ways that, oh, God's taking care of this guy differently than he's taking care of me and I really wish I had what they had. And when we stop being grateful, I think we stop being faithful sometimes. It's why we need to remember what he did. And last, I think that it reminds us to tell others. When when Joshua took the 12 stones, he said, I want you to tell your children about what happened here. I want you to tell them so they know that right here God did something awesome. We've got our kids here today in service, and they need to hear the stories of what God did in your life, of how you were affected by what God did so that they can say, oh, 
he took care of my dad that way, he's going to take care of me. He took care of my mom that way, he's going to take care of me. When I was born, this is what God did, and it's a miracle that I'm even here. The funny part about, the sad part about Joshua is that one generation after him, they walk away. They didn't do it. If we don't tell each other what God's done in our lives, if we don't tell the next generation what God's done in our lives, then they might not know to even look for it. They might not even know that they can trust God. This, to me, is so important. And it's actually, I think, it's one of the reasons why I'm involved in youth ministry is because I want the next generation to know what God's done and that we can trust him, that we need to trust him. So in youth group, I tell a lot of stories about myself so that I can tell them, this is what God did in my life. Because of that, you can trust him in your own life. I'm not going to get into them, and I really, part of me just wanted to use these two passages for the whole whole sermon. But Psalm 77 is this beautiful picture of I will remember what God did for me. But the psalm immediately after that is Psalm 78, which says, I will tell the next generation. So you have Psalm 77, I will remember. And and then right after that it says, if I remember, I will tell the next generation what you did. We need to remember, we need to have Ebenezer's in our lives so we can point out to the next generation what God did. So that gets us to the question I skipped. What are the Ebenezers in your life? Do you have any? Do you have anything in your life to remind you of what God has done? It doesn't have to be a stone. It could be, but it doesn't have to be a stone. But it can be a lot of different things. I'm going to share with you a couple of mine, and I don't want to make this all about me, but I kind of have to share what I know. I have this sheet. I was going to put a picture of it up, but the picture I have is pretty grainy, and I couldn't get a good one. But I have this sheet of paper uh, from my youth pastor from the event that they did when I became a Christian. My youth group did a, a rally where they had Pat Hurley come in. It is this green sheet of paper. They hung them up at the high school to invite people to come because they were allowed to do that then. It had really bad clip art. I mean, even bad for 1989. Um, and it, had, it was a black and white image of Pat Hurley, and it just said, this is what we're doing. It costs a dollar to come. And, uh, um, and at that event, I gave my life over to Christ. 20 years later, my youth pastor sends me a note. I was cleaning out my closet, and I found this. I thought you should have it. And so I have this poster from the event that God called me to be his. It is cheesy. I can, I'm not good at designing clip art and or, or advertisements, and I could do better than this. But it's a moment that I remember that God took an angry, broken high school student whose parents had just gotten divorced, who was trying to find his way and trying to figure out who he was, I said, that one's mine. It was an event where, I've told the story before, over 100 students came forward and, became a Christian, and, and, and professed faith in Christ that night. And within six months, most of those kids walked away from the faith. And so it's something that reminds me not only of when God called me, 
but the importance of discipleship and what it means that how, I, how when I have students in my ministry and how we follow up and how we disciple them and how we can help them grow into who they are in Christ, it's become an Ebenezer for me that I can remember, this is what God did and it reminds me to continue to do what's good. But I have other Ebenezers. Uh, I've got this really great scar on my hand and this elbow has a scar. When I, when I rehearsed, I had a short sleeve shirt on and then when I put this on this morning, I wasn't thinking because I was going to show you guys. Um, and I have a really bad tag gang to my right. As a youth pastor, when kids figure that out, that's a bad thing. Um, this arm doesn't go straight. And uh, it's from an accident I was in. Uh, my mom and my brother and I were going up to visit my grandmother uh, about 15 years ago, somewhere around there. And uh, we hit a patch of ice. We went perpendicular on 90. And a uh, semi T-boned us on my side of the car. And I remember the moment that I'm sitting there in the car and I see the, the grill of the truck coming at us and I think I'm going to die. Like, that's what I think. Because if you're on 90 and you're driving pretty fast and you're about to get T-boned by a truck, you don't think you're going to make it. And right before impact, I'm not one who usually says I hear the voice of God, but I heard the voice of God saying, I'm not done with you. You're not going to die. I still have something for you to do here. And then impact. The window broke, and the airbags go off, and I'm crunched in, and I have to use the jaws of life to cut me out. And they think I'm in shock when they come because I have this joy that God's not done with me. God has a plan for my life. If he wanted me gone, I could have been gone. And so they actually... All, everything says I'm in shock because I'm being very friendly to the paramedics. Um, I asked them if they're Packers fans because the week before the Bears lost and I asked if I could kick them. Um, they, uh, um, I'm talking very joyfully to everybody. My wife is still furious with me because when we call her from the emergency room, uh, she answers the phone while she's at work and I say, I'm a trauma patient. And she didn't find that as funny as I did. Um, but I wasn't concerned because God said he wasn't done with me. And so somebody could see my arm, and I could say, oh, man, I wish I had two working arms. Or, oh, man, like, why did you have to break me? Why, why don't I work anymore? Why am I handicapped? But this, this tells me God still has a plan for me. God has an idea. God could take me at any moment. He just proved it. And instead of being dead, I'm alive because God wants me here. What some people would see as a curse, I see as a blessing. This is an Ebenezer. And, you know, it's not fair because every morning I have, you know, it, it bothers, it, it's an issue every day. But I could, you know, when I'm reaching up and I can't quite reach that thing on the top shelf, I could say, oh, my life stinks. Or I could say, no. God still has a plan for me, and my right arm can still reach up there. What are your Ebenezers? We at this church have Ebenezers. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, when you walk in on the other side of the, uh, um, the there's, a, there's a, uh, a bench, and next to the bench, we've got two stones, and there's actually a third one, too. Well, we have one stone that talks about our partnership with the school, and the, this, the story of how the church 
partnered with the school, not just to use the building, but partnered with them in ministry. And it's this awesome story of how God allowed the church to do something that most churches can't get into school and help out. And yet God had it happen open-handed and just amazing. We've got one to talk about how we got into this building. And if you haven't heard the story, uh, it is a story of God's perfect timing. The school was about to raise our rent, and, and, and Mr. Pratchett came up to us, and Ron said, hey, have you guys thought about check, checking out the, this building? And, and like things just happened, and we had a meeting up here, and at one point in time, most of the elders were like, no, we aren't going to move in here. And within a week, God changed every one of their hearts and said, no, this is where he's calling us to. And it was this awesome story of how God worked where we didn't think that it was going to happen. Or even the story of how we've gotten the land. We have one that talks about the land that we bought. And the story of how that fell into our lap and how in, when most churches were, were struggling financially during COVID, we came up with enough money to pay off that land. And so we have these stones to remember, this is what God's done for the Bridge Church. This is what God's done. Where God moved here in a way that we didn't think was possible. We do, one every, we do one every month or so. Communion is in Ebenezer. When we do communion, what do we do? We do this in remembrance of him. We're trying to remind ourselves that Jesus died on the cross for us, that Jesus loved us, that Jesus died for us, and we do this in remembrance of what he did. We have Ebenezer's all over the place. So I ask the question again. What are your Ebenezer's? What has God done in your life this year? What has God done for you this year that you can say God moved here? Because I'm sure he did. Maybe it was at the men's retreat. Maybe it was at the women's retreat. Maybe it was a relationship that you thought was broken. Maybe he got you through a trial that you didn't think was possible. We need to remember, and then we need to share. We're a people who forget. I'm a person who forgets. And I have an arm that's hanging here telling me God did a work in your life, and yet sometimes I forget. Sometimes I think he did this because I'm so bullheaded and I forget so easily. But where have you seen God work? We've spent most of this, you know, at this time of the year, we're getting all these years in review stuff. You know, you get your Spotify year in review, you, you get, you know, you know, movies year in review, and all these things that have happened year in review. What's your spiritual life in review this year? Where have you seen God work? And have you forgotten that? Because you want to know the coolest thing. We're studying the book of Hebrews now. And this was kind of a detour from the book of Hebrews. But I don't want to steal the thunder. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who saved me in 1989 is still the God who saves me today. 
The God who saved me, the God who picked me is the God who still picks me. The God who broke, who's fixed broken relationships in my life is the God who's still going to fix broken relationships. The healer from yesterday is the healer today. The deliverer from yesterday is the deliverer today and the deliverer in the future. We tend to forget what God's done. And when we forget, we forget who it is that we're worshiping. We forget who it is and we start to get complacent. We start to forget all the things that he's done. We start saying, I wish, I wish, I wish I had it like they did. Forgetting that he has done all this awesome stuff for us. Don't be like that generation of, after Joshua that forgets. We need to remember. I want to encourage you to put Ebenezer's in your life. Put things in your life that remind you and remind others of what God has done. The God who fixed broken relationships yesterday will fix broken relationships today. The God who's done a mighty work in your life yesterday can do a mighty work in your life today. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would forgive us for when we forget what you've done. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember. Help us to remember the great things that you've done and the miracles that you've done in our lives. Lord, we love you and we want to be more like you. We pray, Lord, that the miracles of yesterday will encourage us to look for the miracles tomorrow. That the God who does amazing things yesterday we know he will do amazing things today and tomorrow. In your precious name we pray.